Welcome to the MI Market News Podcast. I'm Greg Quinn in Ottawa. With me today is Elliot Hughes, a senior advisor at Summa Strategies. He's also spent some uh, good time in government as director of policy to the Minister of National Defense. Uh, he was also deputy director of tax policy for um, a previous finance minister, Bill Morneau. Uh, for our European audience, I see that you've also worked at Lloyd's Banking Group in London. Uh, Elliot, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to uh, great to be here. Looking forward to the discussion. Most importantly, if, if I saw it right on, on your website, your profile has uh, two pictures, including a second one of you using a banana phone. So I, I, I expect we'll have top quality audio today. Yeah, look, that was at the behest of the uh, photographer. So I, I take no uh, uh, responsibility for that. They just handed me a banana and, and, and there, there, we, there we go. Un- understood. The summer has been eventful in, in Ottawa, more so than usual, uh, and not just the uh, forest fires and tornadoes. Uh, we, we had a cabinet shuffle last week. And I guess I'd like to uh, start with the idea around that. Um, you know, the, the Liberals made quite a few changes on the economic side and, and suggested they wanted to change the economic message. But in recent months, they've had some fairly big wins. You know, they've brought in some major employers. Um, there have been subsidies alongside that, but a lot of jobs have been announced. Their fiscal stimulus also took unemployment to record lows over the last year. Wages are starting to pick up. So why aren't voters looking more on, on that bright side of the economy? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's one that the the prime minister and his team are probably grappling with and struggling with, um, you know, even post cabinet shuffle. What I would say about the cabinet shuffle is I don't necessarily think it was a change in direction or a change in economic policy, uh, at least not yet. I think what it was was an admission that perhaps they hadn't done a very good job and, and and whether that's through the prime minister and his team and some of the other ministers that they ended up replacing of communicating what the government is doing, has done on the economy to help people. And the hope is to, to bring in some better communicators who have succeeded in other files, particularly like one that comes to mind is Sean Fraser, the former immigration minister, and putting him at, you know, at a really, in a really crucial file responsible for the housing. And so we will see, perhaps there is going to be some more money, there is going to be some new policies that are going to be coming out, and I'm sure there will be. But I think a lot of it had to do with the fact of, we haven't really told our story very well. Um, and so let's bring in some folks who are better communicators. Let's bring in some folks who perhaps represent the voters that we need to motivate a little bit more uh, to, to talk about the policies that we have um, so that we can at least try to convince Canadians that we're on the right track. Because you're right, there just seems to be, even with everything that the government is doing and all the successes I think you, they can claim to to have, that doesn't seem to be resonating in polling numbers as of late. The housing minister was replaced, and that was a, f- a fairly important economic file. And I, I take what you say about communications, but it, it was also made clear that Chrystia Freeland is staying at finance, has the prime minister's pretty very solid backing, as we kind of need in the Canadian political system. Uh, the minister of innovation, what used to be called industry, also stayed in place. What is the message to voters here in, in one sense that people have some upset about the, the cost of living? The government, as you say, wants to communicate better, but they also seem to say, look, what we've done so far on the economy is working. It seems like some voters might struggle with that, the idea that it's a communications problem and not a problem on the economic file. Is, is that going to be an easy duality of messages to get across? No, I, I don't think so. I think I think 
uh, Canadians do do struggle with that because if you don't replace the prime minister, the sort of the, the main spokesperson for the government, if you don't replace the finance minister, you don't replace the industry minister, you don't replace the trade minister. You know, these are the key players when you're talking about the economy. And a lot of people are concerned about the economy, whether those concerns are placed or misplaced and correct or not. It doesn't really matter. That's how they feel. And that's the name of the game. And, and the government needs to respond. And so I think partially the cabinet shuffle was let's try to respond to it by bringing in some new faces. But at the end of the day, I don't think the government's going to change any policies in a significant manner. The, with a one, with perhaps one caveat, which is the housing file. I think just yesterday or even today, the prime minister came out and was a little bit more, I would say, forceful on some of his comments around challenges around supply of, of housing. And I, I wouldn't say it came out completely saying that the federal government is going to get back into the game of, of building homes, but I would say he kind of went up all the way to the line. And that is, to me, a shift in policy. It's a shift in tone, I think, in terms of sort of taking the fight a little bit more aggressively and saying the federal government's going to get more involved. So I think we need to wait and see on the housing file. And it's the housing file that I think Pierre Polyev, as the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, has gotten a lot of traction with, with, with Canadians uh, against you know, the government. And I think this is perhaps where we might see a little bit more forcefulness, a little bit more engagement in a direct way from the federal government. I think that's the one area that you know is going to be one to watch i'm i'm an amateur historian but you know we do have a federal housing agency cmhc and and from my reading of its history it was more or less created in the 1950s to address the post-world war ii baby boom and th there were phases where the government saw it as its job to kind of take that on I mean, um, nowadays it's it's more restricted around mortgages and and some forms of affordable housing, but there hasn't been, you know, I think it's fair to say that the agency and the governments in recent decades have been reluctant to do wholesale construction of affordable affordable housing. So it sounds like you're saying that could happen, but it might be a bit of a leap politically. Yeah, I think I, I think that's right. I mean, who I don't know what they they plan to do. And look, I I don't think the the problem of housing in Canada gets solved between now and the next election. Part of it is actually also showing people that the government is doing something about it, that they're on it to sort of combat this conservative narrative that government policies um, are essentially hopeless. Um, this country is sort of um, going in the wrong direction. Housing is a big, big part of that. Um, and I think politically what the government probably wants to do is, is play to a draw. And to be able to at least say when it comes up in the debates or during the election that they can sort of point to what they've done on the housing file to Canadians. I don't think anyone's going to be super happy about it because, it's, as I mentioned, I don't think it's going to be solved between now and the next election. But at least they can then say, look, here's what we're doing. Here's what we've done. Here's what we plan to do. And I think in Sean Fraser, you have someone who can communicate that fight in an effective way. If, if you were to start with a, a blank sheet of paper, what kind of message in the economy or, or policy in the economy do you think would be effective for voters and maybe in particular in some of these hot button issues like the, the cost of living? Well, I well, I probably personally disagree with some of the, the the ways in which the government is approaching the economy. I understand it from a political perspective because they believe their best shot at retaining power is to capture progressive voters. 
The center appears to have pretty much disappeared. Um, it's evaporated. So there's very little actually to gain politically by sort of driving into the center and, and sort of bringing back that that famed or that sort of heralded sort of Martin liberal, you know, Christian liberal approach. So instead of doing that, you're, you're left with the alternative. I mean, the right is, forget about the right, forget about trying to attract anyone, I think, from the right side. It, it's gone too far to the right. As folks on the right would say, the left has gone too far to the left. So you've got this really sort of divided house, so to speak, with very few people in the middle. And so from a political perspective, it there isn't very much to gain for them to go to the middle. So you, what you do is you can continue to go to the left. And that's what they've done. And so you know, my personal opinion on this is is one thing. Um, you know, I, I do wish that there was, you know, some some other policies that were brought in. But to be fair, I would have a hard time saying that that would be a more effective political strategy. And so um, part of this is the liberals know that if they're going to go after progressive voters, they got to come up with progressive policies, whether that be social policies, whether that be on housing policy, whatever the case is. And unfortunately, a lot of those things cost money. Um, and so for perhaps some of your audiences, um, that really doesn't sort of sort of resonate very well. So I think what they're at is, okay, we need to do a better job of selling what we're what we're doing, convince progressive voters that this is sort of right, and then start pointing to the data that shows that actually Canada is in pretty good shape in terms of sort of GDP against its competitors globally. It is attracting, you know, companies from around the world. It has a strong workforce. It's a, it's a, is it perfect? No, but it's actually in pretty good shape and start to say, look, that's the metric that we want to be judged on when it comes to the economic ones. But politically it's, I think it's very challenging for them and, and kind of pointless to, to try and go after some of those middle of the road centrist voters. Let me ask you about the other side of this. The conservatives, you know, some polls show them with a, a, a decent enough lead, but Canada perhaps has a history of voters uh, looking at a new government between elections, but not during elections. But I think it's fair to say that the conservatives feel like they had some missed opportunities in the last few elections against Trudeau. And, and famously, a former minister, Peter McKay, said that they failed to score on an empty net and a breakaway Essentially, everything was there for the the taking. But we've also seen times that maybe particular on social issues, some Canadians where the Liberals are 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 in some ways strong, but in some ways vulnerable um, on some of these social issues. The Conservatives have put up policies that don't seem very popular, and I think we can say with with women and and certain kinds of suburban voters, are the Conservatives capable of moving in a way where they can attract? a clear majority of votes and do better in the next election. And when I say that, I particularly mean the leader, uh, Pierre Polyever, who during the leadership campaign seemed to court members of his party that were even you know, further, further to the right than some of the traditional voters. This conservative party is not the conservative party of Brian Mulroney. It is not a Bay Street conservative party. This is um, a workers conservative party, first and foremost. Um, it is it is a party that is very, I think, right wing in, in sort of the uh, history of Canadian politics. And while I won't comment too much on it because it's just it's not the party that I know well, all of my friends and everyone I talk to about 
um, you know, will the party go to the center when the election comes? You know, will they try to attract centrist voters? All I'm, you know, everything that I'm told is this is going to be a right of center party that is going to run right, stay right, and that's fine. And we're not coming to the middle to go get people. People are going to come to us. And they firmly believe that the reason they lost the last couple of elections was because they tried to dip their toe into that centrist pool. Um, and that that sort of upset their voters and upset their brand and, and wasn't where um, a lot of Canadians were. And it sort of showed a weakness in a way. And so I don't suspect and I don't expect the Conservatives to, to come into the middle whatsoever. It kind of touches on a little bit of what we were saying earlier, and I kind of understand their strategy, but there are so few centrist voters anymore. Maybe there's some, you know, red Tor red liberals that are some blue liberals that might get picked off. But really, I think they've made the calculation that sort of a little bit like Stephen Harper did, but probably a little bit more extreme, which is we are going to run to the right and we're going to stay right. The, the key for the liberals, I think, is going to be making sure that this is not a referendum, but that it's a choice. It's a choice between, you know, that vision and the vision that I think the government is trying to articulate and, you know, is trying to sharpen that articulation. And I think was partially what, what the cabinet shuffle was all about was to try and sort of solidify what kind of a vision they have for the country. And you put that against, you know, the vision of this sort of pretty right wing government. And Yes, we'll probably hear some of those old boogie, boogeyman tropes come up during the election. Um, and I think that's because it's important for the Liberals to make sure that Canadians understand which direction you're going in if you do decide to to vote with Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives. Stuck in the middle of this uh, anger or disappointment around inflation is is the Bank of Canada, whose, whose job it actually is to set interest rates and, and try and get inflation back to 2%. You know, it's raised interest rates 10 times now. That's brought criticism from not only the Conservatives, but the NDP for different reasons. I, I guess with what you've said about it doesn't appear the Conservatives want to be a centrist party. Um, I take note of their, their one of their big economic promises that they would um, fire the Bank of Canada governor, you know, putting the, the blame for inflation on him. In that vein, is there any reason to believe that if the Conservatives won the next election, they would have any reason to back off that promise or to back off any other promises that would take the you know, economic management in a, in a big new direction? I don't think so. I think the Conservatives have made it pretty clear how they feel about the Bank of Canada, even though they're attacking it sort of via Trudeau, I would say. Right. But um I would think if Pierre Polyev became prime minister, I think the, the, the governor of the Bank of Canada would be out of a job pretty quickly. I think there would probably be a desire for a new mandate, which would be a lot um, heavier, heavy, more heavily directed by the government. And I wouldn't sort of put it past um, a Pierre Polyev government to introduce some legislation that would see a little bit more control over what um, the central bank does from from government and, and putting into question that church and state question um, or that church and state separation that has been there, I think, very importantly and, and, and very effectively for for many, many years. And I think that's, again, going to be something that, you know, is going to be an example that is used by by the governing liberals to sort of talk about what kind of government you should expect under Pierre Polyev. Some people may say, that's great. Um, that's exactly what I want. Um, the Bank of Canada has been raising rates on me. My, you know, my uh, mortgage payments have doubled. 
Um, you know, the cost of food is through the roof. Uh, and I blame these guys. They didn't know what they were doing after the, the pandemic. They said it was going to be transitory. And, and, and now we're at sky high rates and they've, they've increased rates 10 times in the last you know, year, year and a half, whatever it is. And so, you know, it's going to be, that's going to be on, that's going to be part of the fight, but there's no doubt in my mind that um, under a peer Polyev led government, that the Bank of Canada would be in for an extremely rude awakening. Let me ask about uh, political leadership here. You know, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau has said clearly, I'm, I'm hungry. I did this cabinet shuffle to, for the next election, which is two years away or, or less. However, you know, we do know that it's there aren't too many precedents for winning a fourth mandate. So potentially Trudeau could choose between now and then that he doesn't want to fight the next election. You know, we do see Chrystia Freeland, uh, names like Chrystia Freeland, a finance minister, Mark Carney, a former Bank of Canada governor, um, uh, Mr. Champagne, the innovation minister, all people with big economic chops as potential leadership people. If Trudeau somehow did not want to serve, would a retool to someone with kind of big business credentials and who has been tied to the current government's economic policies, are those the kinds of people who could go to the Canadian public and win a lot of traction on Main Street? Well, I, I think it's unless, you know, there's an act of God, I think Justin Trudeau is running in the next election as the, the leader of the, the Liberal Party. Uh, I think he's made that abundantly clear. I think he's a very uh, competitive guy. I think he relishes uh, a potential fight against Pierre Polyev in an election. You got to remember, I mean, you know, the Prime, Prime Minister Trudeau hasn't lost an election since he ran, since he sort of threw his hat in the ring in, in his riding. And I think he's a very, he's kind of a full of pride. And I think he's ready to take the fight to the Prime Minister, uh, to, to Pierre Polyev, um, even if he's, you know, definitely sort of seen as, you know, perhaps yesterday's man and, and down and out. So I, I think that's um, where that's going to lead to. And final point on that, I think it'll be interesting to see. Look, Pierre Polyev's run, won a lot of elections in his local riding. I mean, he's been a career politician. I mean, as much as he like to likes to call uh, call out others, but he's had no real other job than being a politician, which some people forget. But he had never run a national election. Trudeau has. This will be his fourth. It's a different beast. Um, it's it's you know a lot more challenging. So that that'll be interesting to watch. <laughs> when it comes to Ministers Freeland and Champagne, I think both have tremendous qualities, leadership qualities. I think both, you know, would make potentially good leaders down the road. I think both also suffer some liabilities as well. No candidate is perfect. I think the same with Justin Trudeau and Pierre Polyev. They have good and bad um, qualities as, as political leaders. So, you know, I think it's it's interesting to, to think about, but I think there's still a long way for them to both go in terms of growth as as political leaders on the on the carney thing because mark carney's name just keeps getting brought up particularly by people on bay street they sort of see him as like this savior let's bring in this sort of reasonable mind who can come and bring some sense to to government you know just because he was uber successful in business and sort of in that banking world whether it's sort of as the, sort of the head of the canadian um you know bank of canada or bank of england the, that success there and success in politics depend on sort of complete two completely different skill sets. The, you, you may be successful in one and successful in the other, but you got to remember Mark Carney has never won an election. 
He's never won one riding election in, in, you know, at the local level, going door to door, talking to people, you know, responding to concerns. Um, it, that's just not something he's ever done. Could he be good at it? Maybe. But I don't think he's ever sort of demonstrated that or shown that. So he first, I think before he's prime minister, let's see what he can do at the local level in these local elections. Um, and, and if he can sort of take to that, maybe one day he'd go on to become successful at the uh, at the at the political level as well. Having gone through this uh, laundry list of things, I, I like to uh, wrap up on a, a positive note because the last few years have been tumultuous. And I like to ask if you see a positive trend or a surprise that you're looking out for in the next year, either on the political front or where the Canadian economy is headed. Mine would be, I'm astounded that people continue to want to work in politics, uh, whether, and, and I'm thinking mostly here at the staff level, um, I've had a chance to, to work at the staff level and sort of talk to a lot of would-be staffers, people who are interested in it, and they come from all walks of life and there is still this interest and lure of public service um, and getting that experience, working in politics, working in on the parliamentary process. And I think that's to be good and, and positive that even with everything that's going on, um, you know, both on the economy and, and, and just also sort of the potential toxicity around in politics, that there still are people who want to be involved in that process. And I think that is heartening um, and it is positive um, and it's important. I think that's a good place to uh, to wrap it. Uh, so I'll just say this has been the MNI Market News podcast. You can reach me with feedback at greg.quinn at marketnews.com. Uh, if you like the show, tell a friend. I hope to be with you again soon. And Elliot, uh, thank you very much for being uh, my guest. Thank you so much for having me.